Christ made the payment. He bought us with a price. He paid a price. And you know what? It says, through the forgiveness of sins, we, ha- we are bought. Now, if our sins are not forgiven, does Satan have something to accuse us of? To lay claim to us? That man's a sinner. He doesn't get to go into your kingdom. He's mine. He's, my, he's part of my kingdom. But if our sins are forgiven, does Satan have any hold on us? Does he have any claim to us, to our eternal soul? If all of our sins are obliterated, does Satan have, a, does Satan have any claim to us? No, not a bit. There is nothing to accuse anymore. We accuse each other, but we do so wrongfully because we're supposed to come to each other with the mind of Paul that says, I don't, I don't want to know anything except Christ. Christ is what I want to know about you. I don't want to know, I don't, I'm not judging you according to your sins, according to your, your failures, the things that you haven't yet matured in. Are you in Christ? Well, if God is no longer going to accuse you, I'm not going to accuse you either. I don't have to accuse anybody. And in fact, Satan tries to accuse us. And then Jesus steps in and says, no, he's mine. I bought him with my blood. I forgave his sins or her. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> you have no hold on this person. They're mine. They've been set free from your bondage. Back off. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. What is grace? How would you define grace? Anybody want to step out and try to put a pithy statement to this big old word throughout Scripture? Well, we have one because we've gone over this many times. All right. God giving us what we don't deserve. Yeah, we don't deserve it. He gives us something. It's mercy, it's love bestowed upon us, it's favor given to us just because God is love. Not because you're lovable, but because God is love and He loves you. That's why He sent down His Son while you were still a sinner. If it had anything to do with our good deeds, would God have sent down His Son while we were still sinners to die for us? No. It's by His grace. We didn't do anything to get this. Not a thing. And that's why it's called a rich. This is our rich. This is our treasure. The riches of His grace. This is our treasure. Not something that we earned through putting in our time. No, our treasure is given to us through an eternal inheritance. Something that is given to us by the grace of God. Not by the efforts of man. So why do we insist on trying to earn God's favor by setting up the right standards and belief systems and um, separation um, anxieties. <laughs> you know, not that those things are bad, but are those things that we seek favor through? If we do, we lay a burden on our necks that is too heavy for us to bear. When the Lord Jesus has said, Come to me, all you who are laden, heavy, burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. We like to lay burdens on our own shoulders, burdens of standards and expectations and all these types of things. We lay these burdens on ourselves and we lay these burdens on other people and with 
if we aren't meeting our own expectations, then we feel guilty. If people don't meet our expectations, then we resent them. And we just load down ourselves and our churches with burden because we aren't finding our treasure in Christ who has released us from the bondage of self-righteousness. In verse 8 he says, which he, has, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, or insight, I think some translations say. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. See? Grace. His good pleasure that he purposed in himself according to his wisdom, according to his understanding of what's good. Not according to your understanding of what's good. Not according to my understanding of what's good. According to his own. And he considered it to be good to look upon us in our sinful state and say, I love that person and I choose to die for that person and to take away their sins and to forgive them. That's what he thought was good. That's not how we operate. If somebody hurts us, we need them to compensate. We live in a lawsuit society, don't we? People get sued for everything. When I was in real estate, I got sued because somebody didn't like the way their deck turned out. And we just, people like to go take money from other people just because they don't feel good about something. They need compensation for the way they feel. Even for stuff that's not a legitimate harm. (laughs) That's how we operate. If somebody offends us, well, we need them to make up for that. They need to at least ask for forgiveness before I will stop resenting them. Or maybe somebody operates in such a way that just does not mesh with you. I can't follow that person. I can't respect that person because they don't think the way I think. So if I'm going to walk in one accord with that person, well, they need to think like me. They need to change and become like me and think the way I think and do things the way I do things. Is that not where a lot of marriages fall apart? Instead of seeing these, these uh, um, differences as complementary, we just see them as annoying. And we start resenting each other because we don't think the same way. We don't react the same way. We don't have the same thoughts about things. We don't have the same goals. So we start resenting each other. And then we go our separate ways for several years while still being married. And then everything just falls apart. Why? Because we live in a culture where if I don't feel good, you've got to make up for it. But God operates completely different. And he calls us to operate like he operates. Where he just loves. In fact, when you were at your worst, that's when he died for you. All of Jewish history was building up to this moment when Christ died on the cross, nailing all of our sins, all of our trespasses to that cross. God was patient with Israel throughout that time where the law could not save them. He was patient with them until the time Christ would be sacrificed 
and he's patient with us until we put our faith in him. But he did it anyway when we were at our worst, when we were completely in the depths of our sin, children of Satan. There was no good thing that we could bring to him. He was not pleased by the sacrifices and the offerings. But he was pleased with his son. He was pleased with his son. And because of that pleasure, we get to take part in his pleasure. He invites us. He welcomes us to the, ta- to the king's table from the highways and byways. Do you see yourself as a gutter person? Do you see yourself as liter- literally homeless in regards to things concerning the spirit? I mean, that's, we discussed this in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are beggarly. Blessed are those who understand their depravity and that they have nothing to offer, no, nothing to bring the king. No gift that they could offer that could be worth anything. And so we see a Christ who has redeemed us by grace. Not because you're pretty. No offense, ladies. Hebrews 9.15, check out that verse. Hebrews 9.15. Let's start at actually verse 11 and go through 15. Hebrews 9, 11 through 15. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place, once for all having obtained eternal redemption. He obtained it, okay? That's something that he got. That's not something that you got for yourself. That's something that he got. Verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the, unclean, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of, inher- of eternal inheritance. We see here very clearly portrayed, again, I've mentioned before, if you want to learn about Christ's ministry as the high priest, you need to read through Hebrews a few times, because this is the commentary on the priesthood of Christ, uh, this book of Hebrews, and it's fantastic if you are willing to wade through some... Um, some things that are hard to chew through. But he says Christ came as the high priest. Why is he called the high priest? What did the high priest do? Do you remember what the high priest's job was back in the temple days? What did the high priest do? What was the priesthood? The Levitical priesthood. What was their inherit what was their what were they supposed to be doing? Offering sacrifices for them. Yeah. Offering the sacrifices for the sins of the people, <clears throat> administering that um, very important portion of their daily lives. <laughs> Making sacrifices daily, every single day, because people just kept sinning, so people needed to keep offering sacrifices, and then the yearly sacrifices, all these sacrifices. But then Christ becomes the high priest. And he says, of a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, not of this creation. See, he doesn't come into the physical temple. That's what people were hoping for when the Messiah was to come. Somebody who would come and 
purify the temple and purify their nation and, pur- and then overcome the world with his, um, with his uh, commission. But he says, not made with, not of hands, not of this creation. His, his will was not for this creation. His will was for the inheritance that was to come. It was a spiritual situation, not with the blood of bulls and goats and calves, or goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place. Once for all, okay? He didn't have to continually be doing it. Once for all, obtain, having obtained eternal redemption. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more this morning in this morning service. But it's not yours. He, get, he owns the redemption and he gives it to you. It's up to him. It's not up to you. He's the one who offers it to you. You don't make him give it to you. He gives it to you and you receive it. You have no hold on him through your works, through your beliefs, through, your, through anything. Through the life that you're living, through the sacrifices that you've made. Because people have been sacrificing for millennia. That didn't do any good. Your sacrifices, it doesn't matter what you've sacrificed in your life. You don't woo God into giving you redemption. He gives it to you. He offers it to you according to his own will. And you receive it. That's it. That's it. He obtained the redemption. You didn't obtain it. You did not obtain your redemption. Christ obtained it. If you obtained it, then it would be according to the law. It would be according to works. Christ obtained it. This redemption that we get to enjoy. Because the blood of bulls and goats, the ashes of the heifer, the sprinkling for the purifying of the flesh, that was just a temporary system. A schoolmaster. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more? We really are people who satisfy ourselves with slop when the king has made a banquet for us. We are so into ourselves. We are so into our own works. We are so into our own self-righteousness, our own self-made lives. But look at all the studying I've done. Look at all, all the, everything I've sacrificed by become, being part of this church for decades. All the things that I could have done, that I didn't, that I chose not to do, and the things that I've chosen to do that, that I didn't have to do, and all the tithes that I've, and the offerings that I've given, all the money that I've given to the work of the Lord... That's slop. That's the slop for pigs. It's obedience, so don't, don't get me wrong. Obedience is not slop, but it is slop when you think that because you do those things, that God has to recognize that. God has to bestow a measure of favor and blessing because of those things. And therein, you're trying to obtain your own righteousness. Rather than... He says in verse 14, 
Cleanse your conscience from dead works, because that's the way the works are dead, so that you can serve the living God. Once you're released from that burden of trying to apply these things to your righteousness, then the burden's gone. Once you get rid of that mindset, and now you can really serve the living God. When it's, a, when it's in response to what He's already given you freely. It's not, you're not constantly trying to build yourself. You're just trying to obey Him and serve His kingdom and, and, and go out in this great commission that He's given you. In His power. But we keep trying to make ourselves powerful. We keep trying to make ourselves more righteous, more clean. You're already clean. You're already clean. Because you've been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. And once you really believe that you're already clean, then you're free. You're free for all of these works to now be funneled into the glory of God rather than the glory of yourself because you want to feel better about the way you live your life and the things that you've done. You want to feel like you're worth something based off of the things that you're doing. But once you understand that you're already clean because of the blood of Christ, now you're free. Now you're free. Now your works, now your service really matters. Now you really start storing up treasures in heaven. Because if, if everything that you're doing is to try to compensate for past sins or because uh, you feel guilty and you're trying to remove this feeling of guilt or you just don't feel like you're good enough, so you want to feel good enough, you know, those are the things that perish. Those are the things that make us beggarly. Okay, well, let's keep going. we got a couple more verses to go through. Galatians 3.13. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Verse 14, so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What was the blessing of Abraham that was supposed to go to the Gentiles? Does anybody remember that part of the promise? That in the seed of Abraham, all the nations would be blessed. It was prophesied way back when. And here, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Why? So that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. So that the whole world could receive the promise. Okay? So he is a conquistador, (laughs) in a sense. but But not according to the flesh, as we've already established, but according to the Spirit. He wants all the nations to be brought into his kingdom. He wants all the nations to submit, to bow the knee to the Lord God. And it was, all, it was already prophesied back when the Lord called Abraham. He already, he already had it in the playbook for it to happen. But first, we had, Christ had to come and redeem us from the curse of the law. Because the Gentiles didn't really have the law to begin with. Uh, the law was given to the Jews. And for thousands of years, they're trying to obey the law and failing and every single time. 
And because this law could not be kept by mortal human, a mere human, I should say, Christ came. So that by His sacrifice, His pure life, and the curse that He took, He absorbed our curse. He absorbed our curse of death on that tree. And that was also prophesied way back when. Back in Deuteronomy. That everyone who hangs on a tree would be cursed. That's in there as a prophecy of what manner we should be redeemed. That the Christ, the Messiah, would come and hang on a tree and absorb our curse. Of course, it wasn't as clear to those people who were receiving the law back in the days of Deuteronomy. But now that we see Christ, it has become clear. The mystery is revealed. That Christ was cursed on a tree so that, he would, so that he would absorb our curse. Curse of death. And thereby he has redeemed us. He has set us free from the condemnation of the law. He has bought us from death. Given us life. And I want to look at this last verse before our time is up. Romans chapter 3. Most of us know Romans 3.23, but how many of us know just as well Romans 3.24? Because Romans 3.23 is not a complete thought. But yet we memorize it as a complete thought, as though there's a, a period at the end of that sentence. But there's no period there, it's a comma. It's not a complete thought. We do ourselves a disservice when all we learn is for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. But that's what most of us learned, learned in Awana or whatever. <laughs> For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All right, I know that verse. Part of the Romans road. But how many of us know just as well Romans 3.24? Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In verse 21 and 22, to bookend it. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Okay? The righteousness of God that is apart from the law. We've been talking about that. You are righteous not because you keep a set of rules and regulations. The righteousness of God that comes to you apart from the law. That's revealed. Being witnessed about by the law and the prophets. Okay, We already saw it being prophesied back in the day. Even the righteousness of God. Dun, 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 through faith in Jesus Christ. To all to and on to all and on all who believe for there is no difference talking about Jews and Gentiles Jews it's not just for you yeah the law was given to you but this favor of God through faith in Christ it is for all people because all nations can be blessed by the same faith that Abraham had by trusting God by believing God saying God you are true in all the things that you say and if you say righteousness is not something that I obtained for myself, but it's something that you have already obtained through Christ. I trust you, God, because that doesn't make sense to me. All of life is about earning, gaining, doing this and you get that. I mean, that's what life is. So I don't really understand this concept of this righteousness was obtained not by any works that I have done. I don't obtain that. I don't understand that. That doesn't compute with the human way of thinking. But you know what? Just like Abraham, I don't understand, God, why you are telling me to sacrifice my son. Because this is the, the son through which everybody else is supposed to come. I don't understand why you're telling me to sacrifice this boy. 
But you know what? You are right and just in all the things that you say. And even though I don't understand it, even though it doesn't make any sense, I'm just going to go ahead and obey because I know that you, God, are right in everything that you do and say and command. And here God has said, the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to everybody, every single person. Hitler could have gotten saved, even though that wouldn't make sense to us. Man, he needs to be condemned for everything he's done. He could have been saved. Because the righteousness doesn't come through our works. If only he had put faith in Jesus Christ, true faith, he would have obtained a true righteousness. The same righteousness that any of us has available to us if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Because he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, this is part of that concept. It's to everybody. Because everybody has sinned. There's nobody who's better than the other person. When he's talking about all, for all have sinned, He's putting all of the world into one package. All nations. We're all part of the same package. We've all sinned. We're all in this state of condemnation. We all fall short of the glory of God. And righteousness is therefore the same to everybody. You obtain righteousness from Christ. By faith in Christ. Christ gives it to you because he's the one who got it for you. It's his to give. It's not yours to just take. It's his to give. We must turn our mind around and see it that way. That it's not my possession. It's something that God gives me. He makes it my possession because he gives it to me. But it's, it did not originate with me. God is the creator. Therefore, he is the king. And he is the one who made righteousness for us. He made it available for us. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything to get it. We didn't make it. We didn't say the right words in the prayer. We didn't confess the right things. We, don't, we didn't believe the right doctrines necessarily. No. Christ gave it to you. And you said, I don't understand why you're giving this to me. I don't deserve this, but thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> Humbly. Not as a joke. We talked about that in the, the morning, um, a little in different words, in the morning beatitude. My sin, my sin, oh my sin. Why in the world would God ever want to give me this? Because if you don't see your sin, if you don't mourn over your sin, you're not seeing your sin. Okay, You understand it conceptually, but if you don't mourn over it, then you didn't really see it. It's not real to you. But anyway, we don't, we already, yeah. Then he says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Freely. Justified. Made righteous. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith. To demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Why is he just? In giving us righteousness, because he didn't just make sin go poof, he condemned it already. He already condemned the sin. He doesn't have to condemn it again. So he is just to forgive you of your sins, because he's condemned it already. He's already punished the sin. He doesn't need to punish you anymore, because the sin has already been punished. 
if he never punished sin, then he would not be just in forgiving you, because sin must be punished. But he punished it, so therefore it is right for God to forgive you. It's all part of the plan. Because God, I mean, that was the, that was the big um, problem. How in the world do you punish somebody for their sin, but still give them eternal life? How do you punish sin eternally while giving these people eternal life? I mean, that doesn't, how do you make that happen? Well, God made it happen by punishing the eternal Son of God for your sin so that you, the sinner, might have eternal life. So now sin is punished and you are forgiven. The love of God is multiplied. And this is the message that we bring to our community and to each other. Not just our community, but we teach it to each other. Why is it that I preach the gospel to people who supposedly are already saved? Because we need to be reminded that this is all about God. This is all about Jesus Christ. This is not about you. This is about Jesus Christ, even today. Even after being saved for who knows how long. It's still about Jesus. It's not about you. All of your works, it's not about you. So we need to keep preaching this to the world and to each other. This redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this message. I thank you for your redemption, your justification that you give us freely. Thank you that your love has abounded towards us and that we are the fruits of the labors of many who have gone before us. Starting in Jerusalem. I just pray that you would help us to be humble before all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.